Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Ready, Terp fans, because it's time for the Maryland Matt Chat. Join us as we talk Terp wrestling with head coach Kerry McCoy and staff. Now, on to the show with your host, three-time National Wrestling Writer and Broadcaster of the Year, Jason Bryant. Episode 16 of the Maryland Matt Chat. Now, coming back after a... uh, a nice little hiatus from Coach Kerry McCoy here on the program. We've talked to Josh Ugaldi. We've talked to Yusuf Ramita. We've talked to Kevin Kearns. We've talked to Hudson Taylor. In the meantime, Kerry, we've had a lot of busy off-season things. You've gone down to the NWCA convention. You've been to the USA Wrestling State Leaders Summit. You, we've got a golf tournament coming up. I mean, things just haven't stopped being busy for you here in the off-season. Yeah. Um, my kids started school today, and I'm like, you know, how, how is this possible to start in school Football's on TV. College football's getting ready. Our field hockey, lacrosse, our field hockey, soccer, our volleyball teams are playing. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Our kids are coming back to campus this week. So I'm just wondering where the summer went. So, you know, obviously I stayed real busy, but it, uh, I guess time flies me having fun really plays true for, for this year. Coming up right here uh, in the immediate future as we record this on August 25th. On August 28th, that's a Friday at the University of Maryland Golf Course, the 10th Annual Wrestling Golf Outing. You can find more information about that at umterps.com. Click on Wrestling. Still time to register for this, Coach. You can email Mike Cthulhu, mcatulo at umd.edu. And, uh, you know, this is the 10th year of the golf outing. Golf outings are typically kind of, uh, you know, a traditional type of thing for for fundraising within wrestling programs. And, and what's it been like with this golf outing since you've arrived and, and how have you guys uh, grown the golf outing? I noticed there's some pretty slick gear provided by Under Armour. Imagine that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Mike Cotillo does a great job getting this thing ready. I mean, it's, it's, it's his baby and he's, um, you know, he gets really after it and tries to make it not just a, a, a good fundraiser, but it's a, it's a good friend raiser and it's a good event that we want people to, to come to have a great time and, you know, really want to come back the next year. So it, it's, it's the foundation to help our program the, and the, to help raise a little bit of money for our program, but really just get people excited about the coming season and give a lot of alums and people connected to the program a chance to reconnect in, in a, in a fun social way. And then, um, you know, just, just come away with a couple of cool Maryland Under Armour University of Maryland wrestling um, swag. So it's pretty cool to have that happen. And, you know, Mike does a good job with it. Yeah, there's whole sorts of goodie bags. I'm looking at those pictures that Mike's posted on the official Maryland Wrestling Facebook page. I'm like, man, I'd like to have some of that. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Mr. McCoy. And uh, as <laughs> yeah, as we, you know, I, I'm, I'm a gear hound, but uh, also talk about that. It's it's the timing. A lot of a lot of wrestling programs have theirs in like in the spring. You're looking here. You're having it in uh, kind of the tail end of summer as we get to fall, as people are coming back to campus, ge- gearing up for for Big Ten football season. And is that by design? Is is it uh, okay? You can have it in the fall, or you can have it in the spring it looks like you know late summer the fall seems to be an ideal time to have this yeah i mean it's it's kind of a catch-22 because 
um, you know, we're, we're, we're limited by opportunity. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people using the golf course during the year, so we got to kind of pick our, our times wisely. And um, the fall works out really well for us because, as you we talked about at the beginning, the summer's really busy. So to throw another event in, in the summer really would uh, would tax us that much more. So now, you know, going into the season where things are a little bit slower and starting to pick up, it's a great way to kick things off and really wake everything up and say, yeah, we're, uh, you know, the, the season's here. So um, I think the timing of it works out pretty well with us and you know, get people excited about the about the season. And then in about two months, we have our wrestle-offs and our kickoff banquet, which, you know, gives people another opportunity to come back and be a part of the program. And then, you know, it's uh, wheels up and off to go to, to get ready for the NCAA tournament and everything that comes with it. You had mentioned that the golf tournament was kind of Mike Cthulhu's baby. Well, actually, not not 100% accurate because there is now a Cthulhu baby, the newest member of the Maryland wrestling family, as uh, Mike and his wife, Brooke, welcomed Parker Elizabeth to the Terp wrestling family on July 30th. And uh, apparently, Coach McCoy, that's like a requirement to have kids uh, in the coaching staff at the University of Maryland is to have a July 30th birthday. Yeah, well, that, it, it's definitely a, a nice time to have it. My my daughter, Amelia, turned she turned six on the 30th, so it's pretty cool that now, as as well as being co-coaches uh, and working together in that aspect, we've got another thing in common with, with our daughter's birthday. So I uh, I told them, to say, you know, thanks a lot for planning it that way, so now we can double up on birthday parties and things like that in the future. But really excited for Mike and Brooke. You know, it was one of those things, and a lot of people asked and said, oh, well, I didn't even know they were having a baby. You know, and Mike, Mike keeps things pretty to the vest, and and, uh, you know, he kept grinding through the whole time, didn't miss much time in the office, didn't miss time during camps. And, um, you know, so it was, it was really good for him to to be able to balance the things that, that he needs to balance in order to be a successful member of our staff and obviously a great husband and a father. So you know, I'm excited for, for them and and what their uh, what their new new opportunities in life are going to be, as we both know, being a parent and, you know, things get changed a little bit. So um, his his skills of balancing are definitely going to be tested and. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how well he can he can manage it and continue to do the high quality things that he does with our program. I'd have been sweating that date, honestly, because my daughter was was born in in late June and she was supposed to be due in mid-July the 15th. And I'm sitting there, I would look at that that date and be like, oh, Fargo, that's going to get in trouble with Fargo. Yeah. It looks like that's probably why uh, why the old Night Fox wasn't there this year, but uh, congrats to them. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, speaking of Fargo, as part of this busy summer, Rob Eider was on staff with Team Maryland, you know, you know, contributing there. And, and it, there's always this, this tie in a lot of places are more so than others, but uh, you see college coaches as part of, the, you know, the, the freestyle coaching staffs in, in the junior and cadet nationals. And, you know, obviously you and Rob being Olympians have that, that experience, but, you know, Rob really in there in the trenches coaching Greco all the way through. And, you know, what's it, what's it mean for the university of Maryland to have a coach on those, those staffs and, you know, you've got alums and you've got other coaches, obviously Josh Asper was out there as well. So, I mean, what's it mean for the program to be involved in the developmental portion of USA wrestling? It's, it's huge. You know, the, the, you mentioned how Rob and I both Olympic team members and, we, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to get there if we didn't have a lot of help from USA Wrestling and, and the, the structure that they set up where you know, different people at all different levels are able to contribute to individual successes. And that's, that's what we're really looking for. Obviously, it's, it's great to be able to get out there and interact. You know, a lot of the other coaches and you know, former teammates and, and things like that that you get to interact with out there. But it's really you know, our goal is to help USA Wrestling continue to be the the premier wrestling nation in the world and 
know, at every level, we want to help grow and, and produce world and Olympic champions. And, um, you know, this, this is an opportunity to be involved with those staffs. And even though all of us weren't out at the, at the, at the tournament, you know, we all have our hands in the, in the path to Fargo here in Maryland and some of the other national team training camps that go on, um, to try and help these guys get better. And, you know, two, four, six, eight years from now, some of these guys will be, be knocking on the door of, of world and Olympic teams. And, you know, if we can help that a little bit, it's going to be a, a huge benefit. And obviously, you know, there's a tie to the University of Maryland and how that can be benefited from it. But, you know, ultimately it's about helping USA be number one. And, and that's what our, our, our goal is when we, when we do those international events. Two big events you had in the month of August. And for those who follow the world of sports, they're familiar with uh, basketball coaches conventions and, and major coaches conventions that get together and then rules are uh, discussed and, and all sorts of issues regarding that particular sport. The NWCA convention took place along with the Leadership Academy the end of July, early August, that first week down in Fort Lauderdale. And, and Carrie, I've, I've noticed that the last couple of years, and again, I've worked with the NWCA for a number of years currently in a, in a freelance position, helping with uh, with promotion of this convention. And I'm, I'm noticing that the numbers and the discussion and the things that get done and talked about at the convention in, in, the, in the last several years have seemed to be really helpful to the sport of wrestling. It's not just a group of people, you know, complaining about uh, stalling rules or something. There's actually things getting done. There's meaningful dialogue. What did you take away from this year's convention? Because you were, you were part of that dialogue most of the time. Yeah, you know, I, I probably open my mouth a little bit too much and don't give – people as much uh uh time to to talk because i'm always one trying to talk about things but i'm truly passionate about helping the sport of wrestling grow so i i like to share my opinion because i'd rather i'd rather put my opinion out there and and have it be debated and and all that than to not say anything and leave leave the place and not have uh have gotten anything off my chest so so i get to talk a lot and interact a lot i think one of the biggest takeaways from this year was you know, we, we finally got the ball rolling on a Division One leadership structure, which will help, you know, which you were talking about, some of the coaches getting together and try to complain about this and that. Um, putting this leadership structure together will enable to have a little bit more clear guidance and leadership in, in the Division One. Division Two II and Three had a, a structure in the past, but Division One hadn't had a solid structure. So that was one thing that was huge for us to, to get off the ground. We still got some work to do with it, but the general concept, having a rep from every conference, um, become this, this leadership board. And, um, one of the, one member from that group will be sitting on the NWCA board and representing division one. And, you know, any issues that are specific to division one, that group will decide on it. If it's for the good of wrestling, the entire you know, NWCA board will have it. So it's a pretty, pretty good direction with the, uh, the leadership structure. Um, you know, the other thing that's always nice is just getting in and, and getting people together to talk about different things. I mean, there were so many great sessions there. Uh, you know, you, you had your session on, on the social media aspect and Coit Cooper and branding his program. And, and uh, Amanda Stanek had her keynote speak and the things she talked about, about women in wrestling. And so there were, there were so many different great things to, to choose from. And, and I talked with Pat Mike about, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes it was, it was a little bit frustrating because there were so many good things that you wanted to get to all of them. You really, you couldn't get to all of them because of time limitations. Um, so I think that it was, it was really cool that they're really adding the business component to the convention as well as still giving places for you to learn and grow. And obviously the technique, I think Mark Branch and Zeke Jones were the technicians and obviously that what they bring to the table is great. So, you know, really covering all bases and, and, 
really set it up for a great time to to grow the sport of wrestling, to improve individually, and to have a little bit of, of downtime, you know, being there on the beach and by the pool and in between sessions at night. It was great to be able to connect with some people and really, really uh, have a full overall great experience for the weekend. So how much technique do you do you actually learn in these things? I mean, you wonder, I mean, because you've been a, you've been a clinician in places before and obviously you've you won NCAA titles and been an Olympian. But so you got Mark Branch and Zeke Jones coming in there. I mean, I, I, th- I see that as more geared for maybe the high school coaches that might be there. But uh, where does a head coach pick up things from these clinics? You know, there's a saying out there that, you know, you should never stop learning, never stop improving, never stop growing. So every time every I mean, I, I, I look to learn from everybody it doesn't matter you know high school kids i'm out the at the training center and watching some of the, the junior cadet guys get ready for the world championships and i'm watching some of the stuff they're doing i say that's that's pretty cool stuff you know and just so you always have to keep learning so um you know the technical aspect it could be a simple thing where you know mark branch is te- teaching leg riding and you know he likes to lock his feet this way and oh well i never thought about it that way or you know zeke, to- zeke jones is talking about you know, how to run a program and the difference between how much, how much live you want to go and how much drilling you want to go and the different techniques. So it's, it's always just ideas of seeing what other people are doing. And, you know, you, you, you take what you can take that can help you get better. And, you know, some things that you may already be doing or some things that may not necessarily fit with your program, but you, it's always good to see what other people are doing and hear, hear how they're getting things done. So every year when I watch technique, I pull something away from something in some capacity that, will hopefully help me be a better coach and a better member of this wrestling family. You ever have that moment where somebody that you, you admired as a, as a coach while you were an athlete, you, you did something like, Hey, what'd you do there? You ever have one of those like, Oh wow. He wants to know this move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I'm pretty fortunate that I've, I've had that a lot. Um, you know, where I was looking up to guys and I would see them in practice and they'd show something and then, you know, I'd be able to pass it down to the next guy. And, you know, I think probably on the other side where, Somebody sees that, well, you know, I can't take credit for that. I learned that from this guy. Um, and then on the other side of, you know, working with guys like Bruce Burnett and Kevin Jackson and, and um, Greg Strobel, you know, sometimes they'll they'll sew something and then I was able to tweak it and put it so I can use it myself. And they come back and say, hey, that's pretty cool, you know. So it definitely works both ways of, of learning and growing and, and having those people that set the foundation for me to be able to go and, and teach and learn. But I still go back and mean – Example with, I mean, especially for Bruce. I mean, I, I've been around Bruce the last. I've I've, I've met Bruce in, in two thousand in in uh, nineteen ninety, and uh, he coached me in two thousand. He coached me for um, you know here and there, and and you know we on the other side of the of the uh, of the mat with as coaches with him at Navy and me at Lehigh, and and then me here at Maryland. So you know we've been in all kinds of different situations and. Just recently, going to the Pan Am Games with him and, and being out at the World Team Training Camp, and there's still some stuff that when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old that he was doing that still rings true. But then there's other some stuff that, you know, it picked up, and I'll say, oh well, that's you know that's kind of new, something different from you, Bruce. So it's pretty cool to have a, a relationship like that over you know over 20 years of of knowledge that I can still learn some stuff, and then some of the stuff that was 20 years old is still still valid. So it's pretty cool to have those experiences. Yeah. As we talk about 1990, we're talking, that's 25 years and counting. Yikes. Hey, hey, easy, easy. You don't need to go that far. Hey, well, Hey, like we were talking before we started, I just turned 36. And I don't feel that old. So, uh, just, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just, just, just let it be known. Still Kerry McCoy. Still my second favorite wrestler of all time, but it's, it's anyway. Oh yeah. Who's your first? Baumgartner. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah. So anyway, um, I saw him wrestle first. But uh, as, as we move on still with the convention, there's some topics that uh, that are, seem to be very divisive within the college wrestling structure. Uh, some of them, uh, one of them is the National Duels. We'll touch on that in a moment. But there's some things that the NCAA and uh, Greg Dana gave a presentation about APR strategy. And this is something that, that affects every program. It affects Big Ten programs. It affects programs in the, the Big 12, the MAC, Pac-12, wherever. And there were some interesting points about the entire, you know, the rising tide series. So like where, all right, every school may not be an APR issue, but if every school raises their, their average by 10 points, the entire sport of wrestling looks better. What were some of your takeaways about some of the APR strategies employed that, uh, that you've seen work and, and maybe some things that you might try to implement, uh, you know, whether, whether it's not an issue or not. I mean, it's, it's an issue. I mean, we're, we're fourth from the bottom, um, Third from the bottom, depending on when you you know what, what you look at and where some teams are projecting, but it's it's real, and that's the first thing I think that that was important to be taken away from that is a lot of a lot of coaches don't realize how real of a problem it is on their individual campus, let alone as a as a sport as a whole. Um, you know, the idea, well, my APR is, is is good, I don't have to worry about it, but you know, you're you're one kid away from having. A, a, a pretty tough year with the APR. You know, if you get a kid that goes for an, an 0 for 2 or a, a 1 for 4, and, um, you know, that could that could hit you pretty good. And so it, it's really important to understand that it's not just a situation of, hey, well, you know, all my kids are in school and they, they do well. And it's, it's really looking at a deeper level of how we can prepare these guys for academic success. And you know, I think the old school kind of philosophy with wrestling is, okay, you get a kid, you test him out. If he doesn't work, you get rid of him, you go get someone else. That, that, that makes it tough on your APR because if the kid leaves and he's, he's not up to, to par academically, um, you're going to lose that academic point. And then obviously if he leaves, you're going to lose that retention point. So, you know, you might be thinking it's great. I'm going to get the scholarship back, but on the other side of it, it's going to, it's going to put you in a pretty big hole. So, you know, finding ways to navigate that and, and, you know, figuring out what the, uh, what the risk and the reward is when you're in recruiting and, and awarding scholarships. But, you know, there's, there's some things you really, you can't control. I mean, if, if there's a, a family issue, if you have a kid that comes in and there's a, there's a family issue at home that, you know, really it's outside of your control and, and they end up having to leave school. Those are those tough things you do, but the things that are in your control is trying to make sure that the student athletes have the best experience possible to keep them on, on campus. And then, to make sure that while they're on campus, they're doing what they need to do to stay eligible and, and enjoying their overall experience. So, you know, just figuring out one of, one of the things that came out and, and actually I went to a NCAA sports science Institute summit uh, a few weeks before the convention and they, they surveyed a bunch of athletes and they surveyed a bunch of coaches. And it was kind of interesting that the, the number one complaint both by the athletes and coaches is, is sleep. You know, everyone agrees that, that college athletes and wrestlers in particular don't get enough sleep time. Now, is it, is it what, what the reason behind it, it, it's hard to say because, you know, are the athletes feeling like they don't get to sleep because they have to get up at early in the morning to go to class early morning to train or the coaches feel like they don't get to sleep because they're staying out too late studying or, you know, being social. So the reason why that sleep is an issue is kind of up in the air, but the fact that sleep is an issue for, for a lot, for our sport. And so if we, continue to have, you know, 5.30 a.m. practices and the kids get up and they work hard, but then they sleep all day, don't go to class, and then come back in the afternoon and practice and they're so exhausted that they don't want to do any homework or 
you know, whatever case and they're not getting enough sleep. So that, that was one thing that you, you kind of look at is just what are you doing on a regular basis to help the overall experience of the student athlete, knowing that the better their experience are, the higher probability of, of having a successful academic APR um, and, you know, an overall academic experience and, and maximize the potential of those kids. Yeah, I know. I mean, even even these days when people have a regimented situation, sleep is still something you can never get enough of. But uh, as we talk about those those O and twos and those one and fours, where you say, yeah, wrestling is one of those situations where all it does is take is one one kid that uh, doesn't doesn't quite get it, and you know he decides that school's not for him and just bails out. Uh, football and, and bigger roster sports, the 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 head count sports can afford. Uh, you know, a couple of those because they have so many uh, athletes to offset on the scholarship. But wrestling, this this was another topic that was brought up about uh, the scholarship allocations because uh, so many times the, uh, the wrestling, the wrestlers themselves and the parents want to sign a piece of paperwork that says they're a scholarship athlete. Baseball totally went and said, all right, no, no, no more of these thousand dollar scholarships. Now we're going at the minimums 25 percent. Yep. And and it's and it's raised their APR. So now you've got a, people that aren't coming to school for books, realizing they're not going to start and bailing out and then, you know, never attending school again. Do you think wrestling would be wise in adapting uh, what baseball did to bring their like they their APR was in the toilet and they came yeah, all the yeah. way up. And then now the thing is, we're going to have to have a culture change within wrestling, because, again, like baseball, it's not a full scholarship sport. It's an equivalency sport. And, you know, some people might have to swallow their pride and, and say, all right, I'm going to have to walk on for a year to gain money how one do you think it's beneficial to do, go with the 25 percent and two how do you think that would that type of thing would impact recruiting across the board well i think it would be um as far as how it would impact recruiting it, it would be i don't think it would be very much different because the same thing right now where you know 25 percent at one school it's you know 2500 bucks 25 percent at another school it's you know 25 bucks, you know what I mean? So like if your tuition, if your cost of attendance at one school is $65,000 and another school, it's 15,000, you know, so the percentage, it's the same thing right now with schools that have 9.9 and schools that have, you know, don't have 9.9 or, you know, in-state, out-of-state. So I don't think it would affect recruiting so much in that aspect of, you know, the the ability of, of one school to, to really be able to take advantage of because it would be across the board. The one thing, you know, the number, the level would be the one thing that's more debatable because, I think baseball's got 11.7 scholarships, um, and I think they have nine on the field at one time, and we've got 9.9 scholarships, and we have 10. So 25%, even though it's a, it's a flat number, it represents a smaller portion of the percentage of, of student-athletes that are on scholarship, where wrestling, it would be a, a higher percentage. So um, I, I think a, a fixed rate, and you just have to figure out what that fixed rate would be, would be a benefit, but it's just a matter of you know, how to balance out the uh, – because, because again, if you're talking about a 25% scholarship to a school that goes 60,000, is that really going to motivate that kid to stay? You know, for for they're still paying so much money to go to school there. So, um, so I don't think it's the 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 only answer. I think it's definitely something to to consider. But again, you got to look at the bigger picture and and the differences in in the uh, in the amount of scholarship. You know, if if wrestling had 12 scholarships. And you could spread out a little bit more than maybe, you know, uh, 25% could be a number to help out. But still, you know, I think there's other factors in it. I think the biggest thing is just really changing the philosophy of of wrestlers and saying, you know, all right, well, this guy's not working out. Let's get rid of him instead of, well, let's try to help 
you know, let's try to help them get through and, and try to build them into something. You know, you get a kid and you, you give him one semester and he's not, you know, he's not the, the all American all-star you thought he was in one semester. Do you, you start looking for the next guy or do you give him another semester to, to try and develop and, and get his feet wet? And that's a, a question that everybody has to ask and where it goes to. But when you're talking about APR, you know, you may have to, you may have to kind of suck that up for a, a full year to figure out really if this guy has potential to grow and develop and save that APR point, you know, maybe you go a three for four instead of a O for two. Um, you know, if that guy decides to leave and he's eligible, you might be able to get that point back. So I guess ultimately what it comes down to what's going to save us when it comes to APR is just really being more educated on what you need to do and how you can save. Because one of the coaches, they were saying, you know, their team GPA is a 3.0, but they have an APR issue because kids are not staying in school. Kids are leaving. So the, the eligibility piece is one component of it, but the retention piece is another component. So you know, we got to figure out on a on an individual and a broad-based scale how we can attack both of those and really make a difference. Another point is always the the national duels. And then, of course, what another thing that kind of tied into that is the the talk about moving wrestling to a, a one semester sport. Um, I'm, I'm personally, I think moving to a one semester sport, you know, pushing the season back into, uh, you know, starting after Christmas, for example. So, you know, when you get to college, you no longer have to, to, to cut weight through Christmas and Thanksgiving. You can actually enjoy the holidays. So, uh, that's my personal opinion. What are you thinking about a, a one semester sport? How close do you think we are to that? Do you think, uh, there's, there's support for shifting the season? So one, the season's not too long and two, it gets a little bit more favorable television and media coverage yeah i think there's there's so i guess it was probably like three or four years ago where there was a really strong really strong push for uh for moving it to one semester and i think one of the pushbacks were how it would affect division twos and division threes where you know a lot of division three schools uh, i wouldn't say rely on but they they have a good partnership with division one schools of competition and tournaments and then some of the Division three athletes in particular, they may play two or three sports. So, you know, you might lose the opportunity for some of those um, Division three and Division two crossover matches and competition if 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 you didn't have uh, uh, Division one going on the same season. But I think that the Division two and Division three have built up, and there's a lot a lot more programs Division one, uh, Division two, and Division three now. So, you know what what they're saying is the reliance on those divisions on Division one is. Is, is decreased. Now, again, it's always going to be there because division one is you know, kind of sets the tone, but division two and three are, are, are a little bit more self-sustaining, I guess. And um, so now, you know, with that in mind, I think when that conversation comes back up in the next three to six months, I think there's going to be some real good momentum. Um, you know, the other side of, again, we're talking about just the, the overall experience of the student athletes, you know, the way that wrestlers think, okay, well, if we start competing in December, now we're just going to have a, a four month preseason and, you know, it could have the same situation. Now, you, you take out, out competition, then maybe it's a little bit easier, but it's really going to be a change in, in thought process and philosophies for the coaches to understand that, you know, if we shift that way, well, you got you to gotta get out of that old school of, hey, we need, to, we need to grind for the whole time and say, okay, well, we can, we can go two or three times a week, similar to what most places do during the summer, and adjust our, our training and, you know, really start to gear up later on instead of, grinding the kids for seven months and you know and it's 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 a it's an on an individual basis because some teams do real well with that grind and some teams you know do well with the kind of laid back approach and it's really up to each individual to figure out 
what's best for their program. But I think a shift would definitely, you know, get away from the holidays a little bit, get away from, you know, the football season with having to train through that and not being able to do any, you know, it's really tough to do alumni networking during football season and get your alums back and do different things like that because, you know, a lot of our focus is on, on the football and then obviously competition with basketball and, you know, you were at the at the NCAAs when Bob Boldy talked about our NCAA tournaments the first week of, of NCAA women's basketball tournament and the week before men's basketball starts. And, you know, it'd be nice to get two or three weeks away from that. And, you know, maybe we we have our championship the week after the Final Four or, you know, something like that where there's a, a much easier viewing. So I think there's definitely some momentum and it's it's hopeful that, uh you know, some things will be, be going. But obviously, you know, with the way that the, the contracts have gone, there won't be any change until after 19 or after 18 because, you know, we already got commitments in, in our venues for the next couple of years for the national tournament. So we've got some time to really hammer out a, a real good plan. Yeah, we got uh, got New York coming up this year. It's uh, you guys were there at the Grapple of the Garden, so uh, you, you know the facility a little bit. So uh, you know, I you know, I can't wait for it. That's for sure. I mean, back on the yeah. East Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome. I mean, um, you know, I wrestle in the Goodwill Games in New York. I wrestle in the World Championships in New York. I've been at the Grapple of the Garden as a coach for the last couple of years. So to have the NCAA tournament, which is you know one of the best wrestling events in the world in one of the best arenas in the world, it's going to be unbelievable, you know, and I have to be honest with you, you know, some of, some of these uh, small town people that are going to come to New York city, you know, it's a little bit concerning, you know, I, I know there's a lot of three card money out there and a couple of shell games that, you know, some people that haven't been in the big city may not be, may not be as uh, aware of the, the dangers of that. But, you know, outside of that, I think it's going to be a great event. You know, living out here in the Midwest, it's one of these things where I think I figured out one of the biggest phobias, I think, that, uh, you know, the fans that are so used to driving up and, you know, oh, yeah, you were drive right up next to Scott Trade Center in Park, St. Louis. Well, you're not going to be able to do that in yeah, Manhattan. Yep. Uh, you can probably for the price of a small Midwestern apartment. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, exactly. but, you know, I think it's the mass transit thing, honestly. I think because, you know, here in, in Minneapolis, is you know, there's a there's a, there's a metro, but it's not as robust. And I mean, it's like one one train that goes a couple different routes. It's pretty much it. It's not yeah, like yeah. it's not like New York. It's not like my. Moscow. It's not like Philadelphia. It's not like, you know, I mean, actually, I can actually navigate the Moscow subway better than I can in New York. But I just <laughs> think it's it's the fact that they're not used to the mass transit being able to to park, you know, drive up and park. I mean, you know, Des Moines, you just drove right up right next to it. There's a parking garage. Yep, yeah. New yep. York City is what, 25 bucks an hour. So I think a lot of it is is you're so used to staying next door to the hotel, next door to the arena and parking. And, you know, yeah, you can do all that. If you want to spend a lot of money, but if you don't want to spend a lot of money, go a couple blocks, stay stay in Jersey, stay in Queens, whatever. But uh, yeah, there's definitely. Well, I still think that it's just that you're afraid to use the subway to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, and I could. I mean, it's it's not just people from the Midwest. I mean, I grew up on Long Island, and I didn't spend a ton of time in New York City. So you know, my first few times, and I mean, I probably shouldn't say, it, but you know, my when we were there for the for the Goodwill Games. Me and my training partner, Matt Calabretto, who was uh, a teammate of mine at, at Penn State, you know, we, we rode the, the subway. We were trying to go down to, to the World Trade Center, and um, we rode the subway. And next thing you know, we're in Brooklyn. And it's like, you know, he's like, hey, aren't you from New York? Aren't you supposed to know? I was like, hey, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. So, so even, you know, you don't have to be from the Midwest to not, 
necessarily know how to navigate around New York. New York's tough. New York's tough. Two years ago, I got lost. I went to see Greg Warren do a stand up in Queens. Uh, it was the same weekend as the Grapple of the Garden. And I got on, I, you know, I thought I was following the right way. Yeah, I ended up in Jamaica, not Jamaica, Queen. I ended up on the island. I was in the Caribbean <laughs> and then I had to get back <laughs> yeah, on. I mean, I it was like, that. wait a minute. Sure. I, I went through the other door. I yep. came out, came out this way. I went in the other way. No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. So yep. I was supposed to go in the same door I came out of. Yeah. I, I, you know what? That's why I can, I can't read the Cyrillic in Moscow, but I, I, I know the signs. I can read the signs. Yeah. Yeah. London's pretty yep. good with that too. But, uh, next, next thing I just want to touch on a little bit. It wasn't really a huge, huge point of contention. It looks like the NWCA is going to do a little bit of a, a stopgap with the national duels and, uh, not an event typically Maryland's participated in, uh, in recent years, but, the concept of, of it seems like creating a national dual meet champion uh, endorsed by the NCAA is pretty much thrown out the window. The, the NWCA is trying to still keep a dual meet type of uh, importance to the event. It's going to be kind of a not a BCS, but a a bowl like kind of a pre BCS where like, you know, OK, top two teams. Boom. Like you take the AP poll and boom, you're, you're, you're matching up your bowl games. Uh, what are your thoughts about the, the whole dual meet concept as a whole? What, what do you think went wrong with it? And do you think that this like highlight bowls, like picking like eight type of season ending dual meets to kind of culminate the dual meet season is, is a potential way that, that to draw more interest and say, all right, all right, Penn state, you're going to host uh, Oklahoma state to determine the national dual meet championship and so on. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess the first thing, and I've, I've said it and the, the, <laughs> the national team component of the NCAA tournament is not dead. It's, it's going to be, it'll be in, in some capacity in the next few years. So the NCAA committee, the NCAA, you know, they, they, they want to have a, a dual component to the national tournament. Now, what that component's going to be, we got a couple years to figure out, but, you know, let, there's no doubt that it's going to be some kind of dual meet component going to be a part of the NCAA wrestling championship at some time in the not too distant future. So, you know, it, the NWCA national duels is going to be something different, but the NCAA will, will be pushing a, a, team concept team component out soon and you know anybody that thinks otherwise is 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 sadly mistaken because it's just one of those things that the the direction of of all sports um on on the NCAA level are wrestling's not necessarily aligned the same way so we're you know you know how the NCAA likes to have everything kind of lined up so um so that that'll be that'll be on the horizon at some point I don't know how long but you know, that, that idea is not dead. Um, you know, with that being said, I, I think, uh, the dual meet concept is, it's a great concept. I mean, you know, Tom Ryan will say it all the time. You need to have a a conclusion to your dual meet season. We spend 80%, 90% of our year wrestling in dual meets. And, you know, our tournament is based, our comp, our national championship is based on one tournament in essence. So it just doesn't make sense. So you need to have a finality to the dual meet season and then move to the tournament season. So the idea of having dual meets, the idea of crowning the best dual meet champion in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't right now doesn't mean anything towards who's the national gets the trophies, but it does mean something when you could say you are the best dual meet team in the country. Um, when you have at the end of the season, the media gets behind it, administration gets behind it, the fans get behind it and say, wow, you know, Missouri last year was the best dual meet team in the country. And it meant something. It meant something on their campus. It meant something in the wrestling community for them to to do what they did last year and the, the teams that they beat last year was was incredible. Um, so so the dual meets really matter on that national stage. It's going to be a, a challenge to really get down to you know the the eighth and ninth 
ranked teams and have that match have a ton of significance, but it still matters if you're going to wrestle if if a a, a non Big Ten team beats a Big Ten team if uh you know if an East Coast team goes out to the West Coast and beats one of you know whatever the case may be it's always going to have some significance so the dual meet is very important and it's just iron out the details on what that importance is gonna is gonna be but um you know I'm excited for to see what the plans are I think this. This bowl, and, and we've got to find a different name for it. I mean, a bowl is that just doesn't that doesn't fit with wrestling. I mean, anytime you talk about bowls, you want some chili in it or something. So, um, unless it's out. unless it's Cincinnati chili, you don't want anything any part of that. Yeah, probably not. But um, you know, having having a dual meet festival, having a dual meet extravaganza, having a, whatever the name you want to call it, it, it gives the fans something else. And you know, again, what one of the the biggest arguments for dual meets are the average fan will know that hey. School A and School B are going to compete. It's going to be an hour and a half to two hours. I can go and cheer for one team, watch it, and be done and go on with my with my night or go on with the rest of my day. So there's a, a huge draw for a dual meet, especially when you build it up throughout the throughout the season and you know get people starting to follow the rankings. So now that match where you know you got that match and you got a guy that's you know high nationally ranked and you know individual ranking but the team if you win this team this match you're going to get a chance to wrestle you know against one of the top teams for a championship you know it's going to it's going to play into it coach is going to make that decision hey if i get a chance to go and if we win this duel we're going to go to the the the, the event you know whatever you want to call it the bowl event as of right now but if i win this you know we need to make sure we put our best guys out there and it's uh you know it's far enough away from the conference tournament the national tournaments that we should be able to you know, maximize this and then turn around and, and be able to perform in the postseason. So I'm excited for it. I think, you know, once all the, the wrinkles get, get worked out, um, it's going to be even better. But right now it's the ball's rolling on a, on a new concept, a new event, and we have an opportunity to, to be a part of it and, uh, and see where this goes. Yeah, when when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I don't I don't dislike how it's run now. I mean, I've always been kind of indifferent on. Uh, I always I think that the the best gauge of a team is the ten guys that you got on the ten best guys you got on the mat. But on the other point, you know, I can see the the tradition or whatnot. But here's the thing that does kind of irk me. It's like, okay, uh, how many people actually at the tournament at the NCAA tournament know how to keep team score? They're always saying, oh, bonus points. These kids are going for the bonus points. You got to get the pin. Do you do you know how many of those points are worth? How many of those those pins are worth? Do you know how much an advancement point is worth on the top side? I don't think the average fan these days, because everything's so computerized, can actually hand score a tournament or know how much that that quarterfinal win is worth versus how much that semifinal win is worth versus how much that injury default in the con- consolations is worth. We right. only we only notice it when uh, when you know say Iowa picks up three injury defaults in in the consolations that one year. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. so no, and it's. That's true. I mean, and I was having a conversation with somebody, you know, at the convention about it, said, you know, people are watching the national, our national tournament, and you don't know who's winning until the team score goes up, but a team score is going up while the round is going. So you put the team's team score up the first round, you know, and heck, Maryland's in first place because we had three pigtails, you know, and then the next round we're in 20th place because we didn't have another round of matches and all of our guys were, you know, waiting for the next round. So it's one of those things that it's kind of like, uh, you know, with the stock tickers, you just, as the stocks are going, you know, everything's kind of rolling through. But, you know, if you just saw the opening bell in the morning and then you saw the, the closing bell at night, you know, I don't I don't know how exciting the stock market would be for those people that play it that way. But 
Um, you know, so it, it, it is, it, there has to find a way, a better way of explaining it and presenting it. And, you know, when, and the, the knowledgeable fans get there, but then, you know, even then it gets a little bit because, okay, well, was that a, was that a default? You know, does he get team points for that? Does the other guy get out? You know, well, he got a pin. Okay. Now that, does he get the advancing point? Well, it's a full point in the front side, a half point in the back side, And, you know, well, he just made the quarterfinal. So if he wins this one, it's a seven point win. If he loses, you know, he's going to get three points because he's still, but he has to win that match and he got to buy and does he carry the point? And, you know, so there's a lot of things that you get to know through the sport, but, you know, Joe Fan that's sitting in the crowd is just waiting for the flash of team scores up every few minutes and yay, we're winning. No, we're not, you know, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, because I'm always like, I'm always looking at the semis like, is this nine plus or is it seven plus? I I always have to ask Gimp every year or look at the track wrestling guys and be like, hey, well, you know, okay, what's what, seven points plus, you know, it's it's just, you know, I mean, and I I, I scored high school tournaments for years, so I know how to do it at high school. It's just a college. It's just wacky. But uh, yep. anyway, that's that's another, t- I think that's another topic another day as we've been talking with <laughs> Coach Kerry McCoy here on the Maryland Match at episode 16 as we've got the golf tournament coming up Friday on August 28th. Kids start rolling into school, and the next time we will talk with Coach McCoy, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, basically the adjustment to college for some of the freshmen, the guys coming back, and uh, we'll keep you always up to date on the Maryland Match at Coach McCoy, final thoughts for our episode 16. Hey, we're looking forward to a great 15-16. This was a great opportunity for us to share with our fans in the Maryland Matt Chat. Looking forward to a lot of support moving forward. And, Jason, just thank you for everything you do with the sport and uh, especially helping our program out the way you've done in in the recent years. So thank you and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.